are a little bit loose, a little bit unstrung, and they've probably had a few beers beforehand. Please welcome Matt Crummins and Tom Fancy Pants Putt with yet another episode of Matt and Tom's Excellent Adventure. Welcome to Matt and Tom's Excellent Podcast. How are you, Matt Crummins? I am really good this week. Yeah, I'm super busy though, like crazy busy with super, beef up coming up. Yeah, super busy. You may I'd let you know whether or not you want to keep that first ten minutes in on or not. But it's a bit of fun. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see how we go. Probably super, to be honest, uh, I feel like we're divulging all of our world secrets, so we'll see. Right? Well, we can't do that. No, no we've got to we've got to keep people um, on the um, you know the what shall we say the line. Should we mm. say on the dangling the carrot in front of them in order to make sure that they listen every week? But, every time uh, you use the word dangling, it scares me, Tom. <laughs> I know I sort of have to pull back there, and, and even that's probably a word I should be yeah. using. But, hey, both good and bad news this week, just to start off, Matt. Um, a good client of mine, Karenya, has been listening, and she has posted on our Matt and Tom's Excellent Podcast public group on Facebook. Everyone should be. Uh, I should join that. Should be on. <laughs> should be joining it. She has written the best forty-five minutes of the week. Much Whoa. merriment. Boys don't take themselves too seriously. This is good to see. Oh, the worst but part is also, we try. It's just that we're, <laughs> we're just such jokes in the world. I know. <laughs> but also muddled into the mix are some awesome and informative photography tips and bits. Keep them podcasts coming, boys. Hey, wow. that's Isn't pretty that amazing. And then this one from an anonymous, but but he's also attached his name, Nick Fletcher. Can't believe that you guys get away with talking such crap. When are you going to have me as a guest on the show? You guys are absolute losers. That's terrible, isn't it? Really, to um, be writing that. That's just. I thought Nick was a bit above that. I mean, given the fact that I've just made that up, but let's let's just put that aside for a second. Well, also, like, isn't it like this is kind of jealousy is usually a sign that he cares, you know? This is it. And and you know what? Every time we post about this on Facebook, he mentions it, doesn't he? He's yeah. like some... I actually, I know, I know someone's got a bit of a bone it. to pick with you, though. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, so you'd know that Cam Blake is on Team Nick Fletcher. Which, um, is he really? Yeah, oh, very much so. Oh, oh God, yeah. Why is that? Good question. But He's sucking up his bum to get something, isn't he? There was something else that um, that came out of this. I was chatting to to Cam just before we jumped on this podcast, mm. and he wants me to let you know. <laughs> screw you, buddy. <laughs> why? You want to know why? Okay, so yeah, what have I done? I'm only ever nice to people. Well, last week I think it was last week. It might have been the week before. I don't know where we're at at the moment. Like every day is the same. Um, yeah, but you told us a tip in Lightroom about finding missing files. Oh, no, hold on. This and, is a backhanded compliment. I know where this is going. And Cam Blake yeah, went I'm and did that. You. He has found 35,000 missing photos and he's now shattered. So you've you um, actually ruined his week. So That's um, my fault, is it, that he's got missing photos in Lightroom? Well, you I know see. What? He was ignorance is bliss, you know. Um, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so, this is true. Yeah. I actually had to go through and delete um, 33. 28,000 photos out of one catalogue, and that was my Iceland catalogue just wow. today. Um, most of them are GoPro photos that I had strapped to the front of the camera that was taking, you know, a photo per second in order to do time-lapse. Okay, yeah. And there were 28,000 photos missing in that catalogue, and rather than try and find them and relink them and do all that stuff, I just went, no, nah, I can't be asked." Go you. And I just deleted them and re-imported them. So yeah, yeah. Um, That's it. You're, you're better than that the catalogue. You just, you just walk away, yeah. you know. You just take that. That's it. You know? I'm in control here. So tell me, 
What are we going to be talking about this week, young Matthew? Well, so we had this idea that every time... I don't know about you guys who are listening, but um, I used to get teased a lot. I was presuming that there's anyone listening. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, like if a tree falls in the woods, like... This is it. This is it. Um, We're amusing ourselves nonetheless. So who cares if anyone else is listening? So uh, I used to get cop a lot of flack from my mates. So I traveled a lot as a kid. And then with my jobs, I've always had really cool jobs where I did lots of travel. So um, whether it was through um, video and photography, corporate work, or when I was at Olympus, I always just like did nothing but cool stuff most of the time. Um, but every time we caught up, um, I'd always have this kind of like, oh yeah, that's like that one time when I, and they'd all just kind of look at me and go, oh, like that one time when you... <laughs> Yeah, one time at band camp? Yeah, basically. Um, right, okay. So I thought well, that, that was your favourite you, little saying. That was you. Oh, you just, just like, come up with that It's just time. such a like a f- arrogant frat boy phrase. Like just, <laughs> you just chime in with like, oh, yeah, and this one time when I was in like, you know, yeah. So yeah, I think yeah. that um, I wanted to hear. It's a hard sort of saying, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a sort of, of kind of yeah. like it's, you're it's kind like of like trying to penetrate that conversation and, yeah. and really you're on the outer and you're really part of the not so cool group as opposed to. Yeah, cool kids. So okay. I wanted to hear. Um, well, I thought we could discuss. I want to hear your story. Like you know, when there's there's got to be one story where you're like, uh, yep, yeah, that that story's been somewhat overtold. But that one time when you were in photography world, <laughs> I I could only I can only think of one in particular that Mary actually reminded me of this today because she said when am i going to come on the podcast and and you know say her two cents worth and i said you can come on today babe but she's raced out the door to go to the post office i mean talk about getting a better offer Mm. but there's this is a sort of like a serious but not so serious like it has a good ending and i'm not sure if you've heard this story before and i hope this is along the same lines of what you were meaning otherwise i'm going to take up the next five minutes of the podcast and steer it in completely the wrong direction <laughs> that's all right we've got we've another half hour to bring it back so this is, it. this is it this is it so um i do a fair bit of snow photography as you know and a few years ago stupid me decided that i'd go earlier in the season rather than later and it's kind of an unwritten rule that you don't sort of go back country camping up on the main range of the snowy mountains in July, August, it can just be far too sketchy. I was right? going to ask why not because, like, that seems like such a bloody awesome idea. Yeah, until there's nowhere to hide up there, and it's often hundred kilometer hour plus winds. So, and that happens pretty much every week during the winter time in a typical season. No, I, right? I was kind of joking there. Like, obviously, that's so, really <laughs> <in. laughs> right. Okay, but you know, like, I love, I love being up that part of the world. Although it's it's highly dangerous because of that. And so I went up. Um, in July and it was a bit of a snowstorm. Let's just say for the first 24 hours of this trip, I was tent bound. I couldn't pretty much leave the tent other than go for a wee because the wind was so strong and the snow drifts, the blizzard was just insane, right? You wouldn't bother going anywhere. You couldn't see anything anyway. So um, I'm in my tent. Lucky I took a book with me because I I think I read this book about twice in that time because I was so bored. And that particular night, it must have been the first night I was up there, I had to keep waking up to push the snow away from the front of my tent because it was building up outside the tent door to basically stop me from getting out of the tent. I probably would have had to have slashed a hole in the tent in order to get out, right? So I had to bang against the door of the tent, push the snow away, shovel it away, and I did that two or three times in the night. And all the time, I'm hardly getting any sleep anyway because 
the wind was so strong, and I've got a really you know good tent. It's the sort of tent you could take up Mount Everest, right? It's a North Face Summit Series tent. It's 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 pretty gnarly. All the time, it's like somebody standing out of my tent, um, just grabbing the whole thing and shaking it violently as oh, hard I don't as like could. The sound you know, like you know when you're on school camp and mm. somebody decides to play a bit of a practical joke and they walk up to your tent and they shake it furiously like that. Yeah. You wonder what the hell's going on. So that's what was happening pretty much most of the night. And then the following day around sort of like mid-arvo, it calmed down a little. It was still a bit of a whiteout, but the wind had dried off and I went, no, I'm sick of being in my tent. I'm going to go for a walk. So like my ingenious, you know, plan was to just walk an hour in a straight line and then just walk an hour back in the straight line and I'll find myself back at my tent, surely. That to me, (laughs) that is the first rule of Boy Scouts, I think, is to not do what you just said. And besides, I can just, I'm making tracks in the snow. I can just follow them back. You're so, as bad as Hansel and Gretel. Like, honestly, I'm surprised you didn't pull out your, your freeze dried macaroni snack and just drop little bits of macaroni <laughs> over the snow and hope that you could follow it back. Just have like oh, a little duck following you. <laughs> oh, I needed you there, Matt. And so I've gone for this walk and I've got some quite nice photos, you know, and all. And, and then I'm walking back and I'm probably. Close to where I thought I should be back on my tent. And I'm like, mm, yeah, none of this is looking so familiar. And I don't feel like I've I'm, – I'm sort of traversing a slope. So I'm, I don't feel like I've gone up too far or down too far. What's going on here? And in the end, I'm starting to get a little bit panicky because it's starting to get a little bit dark by now. That this, this, The light is dropping. And I'm literally looking at sort of like caves underneath <laughs> these rocks and thinking to myself, I wonder if I could bivy there for the night and just, you know, curl up and, uh, and stay warm. Until I finally came to this spot that I recognised as being a landmark and I'm like, all right, I know where my tent is from here. And I finally made it back to my tent, which was great. But, you know, that was the first fuck up from the, uh, excuse me, the first, um, you know, the first uh, wrong decision on that. My, my main question with that is like, I thought the purpose of a tent like that is that you pack it up in the morning and you take it with you. So wherever you end up, you just kind of like go, hey, tent. Yes, true, true. But then um, I wasn't. I wasn't really in the mood to packing it up, and I thought to myself, "I'm oh. not really." Well, don't uh, don't put yourself out. Like <laughs> go anywhere. That yes, I know, I know. I didn't really want to go anywhere um, that night. I thought it was best to stay put. So a couple of days later, the weather got all better, and uh, and I was actually sunshine. You know, one of those bluebird sky days. And my phone had, of course, run out of battery. Nice, thanks, Apple. And um, I saw these two guys backcountry skiing. And I just, you know, pretended like I was friendly and happy and uh, and that they knew me. And I got chatting with one of them who is actually an Olympian skier, right? Young guy. And I said, look, mate, could I borrow your phone? Because mine's run out and I really need to let my girlfriend know where I'm at and that I'm okay and all the rest of it. He goes, yeah, yeah, sure, no problems. So I text her and said, look, I'll be home tonight. I'm, I'm going to pack up and come home. There's a bit of a cool change coming tomorrow. So probably done here so i'll see you you know some stage soon but she wasn't home she was mary was actually up in sydney doing a job up in sydney and uh and so off i went see you later guys all the rest of it and mary's getting worried that later that night because she hadn't heard from me because she'd be like well if his phone ran out of battery he'd be back at the car by now and he would have charged it up etc i decided that I think it's probably worth just staying out one extra night, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good idea. Home. Yeah. And, you know, like, oh, I'm safe Once and well. Once it's frostbitten, and, it doesn't get worse. <laughs> and so, wow, that reminds me of this too. The, the cool change came in sooner than I expected and the wind was getting up towards sunset. And it wasn't the sunset that I expected anyway. By the time I pitched my tent, it was pretty gnarly. And I get into my tent and... 
the tent was facing into the wind, so the wind was coming into the tent, which was blowing a lot of snow in, and it also made the end of my sleeping bag wet. You clever Because chicken. obviously the snow melts with the body warmth, right? And so what happened was that, that my feet just never got warm that night. Usually your feet stay cold, you know, all day type thing, but then you hop in your sleeping bag with your socks on at night and you, they warm up so the next morning you're okay. Well, they just didn't, they didn't get warm all night. So I woke up with frostbite in my feet, which doesn't sound, it sounds a bit alarming, but it, it's basically just meant that my big toe stayed numb for a whole month. Oh, I thought you were so, going to go down the Billy Madison path and like you've now got that black foot and you can just like, oh, you know, you well, know how no, you just like it wax off. it with a fire pick or something and it's just like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. I actually, I actually, well, this is another, I'm taking up the whole of this podcast with my story. I actually met a guy who had, was the youngest Westerner to climb the north face of Everest, which is not the more common route. The more common route is the southwest in from Nepal. He'd climbed the more technical route from Tibet and he was a friend of a friend. I saw him at a party only months or weeks after he'd got back from Everest, right? And he had two blackened fingers. He'd taken uh, off one pair of his three pairs of gloves for a minute 45 seconds to untangle some rope that wouldn't otherwise have come um, come apart. And this is life and death situation. So like, yep, I'll take off that glove in order to get my dexterity to do that. And for that minute 45 that he had his fingers exposed, it caused severe frostbite on two of his fingers. Well, years later, I met up with his dad and who I knew through bird watching. And I told him this same story about his son. And he goes, yeah, they fell off. He's at the end of his fingers, the tips of his fingers oh. fell off while he was playing squash one day. No. He was playing squash and he hit the ball too hard and the tips of his fingers came off. Can you believe that? Oh, God. Anyway. So I had this, I had this uh, toe that was frostbitten. It's not about him, it's about me. And so um, I said to my mate, Scotty Lego, who's also an awesome photographer, look him up. He has a gallery in Kingston in uh, Canberra, if you're ever in that way, if we're ever allowed to uh, travel again. I was going to Make say. sure you pop in. And, and I rang Scotty and I said, Scott, uh, he said, how was your trip? I said, oh, it was pretty interesting. And uh, by the way, I've got this numb toe, like uh, – you know, I told him the story how I hadn't hadn't thought out in the night and all the rest of it. And he goes, yeah, that happened to me once as well. And I said, oh, really? Okay. So how long does that sort of normally last for? And he goes, oh, you'll be right in about four weeks. And I'm like, are you serious? And do you know how disconcerting it is to have a toe that is numb for that amount of time? Like You'd, you'd forget you that you realize. had it. You'd just be like, <laughs> and then when it came back, you'd be like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just grew an extra, just grew an extra digit. Yeah. Thanks very much. It was very disconcerting. That wasn't the end of the story. The following morning, after this storm had rolled in, it was severe. And I was camped behind this rocky outcrop, but it was providing me no protection. It's the only time I've had to pack up my tent around my pack because I had to leave the weight of my pack inside of the tent to right the last minute. Otherwise, if I'd taken the pack out of the tent, my tent would have blown off the side of the mountain, right? It was just gnarly. It was stupid. So I stuffed that into my pack and I walked to the edge of this escarpment to try and get my way back home and the clouds parted for just a brief minute and that's where I just got this perfect line of sight to where I needed to go in order to get out of there, right? So for about an hour and a half, two hours, I'm walking this perfect line to get back to um, the chairlift at Threadbow, which is called the Kosciuszko Express. It goes right up to the top. It's the closest you can get to the top of Australia. And I get to the lift and it's 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning. It's blowing a gale and I said to the lift operators, I said, so... Um, when are you starting this back up? And they go, because the lifts weren't running, too strong a wind. And he goes, not anytime soon. Ah. And I go, so how am I going to get back down? Because it is a long, you can't hike up that. It's too steep and too long. The chairlift ride alone is about 10 minutes from the Threadbow Village up to the top. 
He goes, well, you'll just have to walk down, won't you? And I said, you're joking, aren't you? And he goes, no, nope, it's the only way you're going to get down in a hurry. So I had to walk down the, the um, ski runs. Like you would have just pulled pulled your camera bag out and just tobogganed that thing. <laughs> <laughs> just got, you know what, this is this is a bad situation. It, it can't it get would worse. Be much more fun doing that. <laughs> and I get halfway down and finally there's this chairlift running because it's a bit more protected. And the guy, the lift operator, just looks at me and goes, oh, you don't look good. And I said, oh, I've been better. Oh, where have you been, he says. I said, oh, I've been up backcountry, you know, photography for the last three days. And he goes, oh, it would have been pretty gnarly up there. And I went, oh, yeah, yeah, that's probably a yeah, yeah, good word for it. And he goes, oh, jump on. I get to the cafe, you know, the obligatory sausage roll and chocolate milk. <laughs> I go back to my car, plug in my phone, and then, you know, it fires up and I ring Mary and, hi, babe, how are you going? And she goes, oh, my God, are you okay? And I went, yeah, 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 I'm fine. And the next words that came out of my mouth, her mouth, which I'll never forget, was, "Don't ever do that to me again." <laughs> you're just like oblivious. You're just playing in the snow. By that stage, and she'd rung, you know, my dad. She'd rung a mate of mine, Tony, who, um, who, you know, knew of my, you know, what I was up to, and and he's done a fair bit of that sort of stuff as well. They'd rung the ski patrol, who were now starting to go um, through the car park to try and find my car, and and right. they're like, "Yeah, Joe," and Mary's like. I don't know. I don't know his car, Rego. She had to go to Facebook to find a video that I'd taken. She remembered I'd done this video on Facebook and I'd panned across the beach and I had my car in the end of the video. So she paused it on the end of the video, wrote down my Rego and then gave it to the toes. So this was, you know, stage one of me, you know, being lost in the, in the bush. And uh, from that point on, she bought me um, a GPS tracker, which I have to carry with me at all times. Oh, no joking. I don't. They, joking. they give those. They do those with pets as well, don't they? So you can this find is, lost pets. And, and generally, people who are out on parole. Yeah. And uh, and uh, yeah, look, I do have an EPIRB on me, which is not a tracker, but it's one of those, you know, yeah. you know, pull in case of emergency. A radio license. flare. Almost like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So I had one of those. I wasn't being totally irresponsible, but. Um, that was not a good move to say, babe, I'm coming home and then no, change my plans. not great. No. You know, so, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't get that last lift and the guy just didn't go, look, have you got a ticket? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like look, send that. you walking for the rest of that. I'd love to let you on, but, you know, like just, just flash your ticket, would you? You know, like, oh, yeah, it's in the bottom of my pack. Yeah, that's you. Oh, sorry. Uh, oh, I must have dropped it. I'll, I'll fix it up on the way back. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. So I don't know whether that was in line of the oh, story definitely. you had in mind, Matt. It but, is, because uh, these anyway. are the stories, I think, when you sit down with people and they kind of, you know, everyone starts talking about, like, their, you know, the trials and tribulations of what they've done. They're, you know, you've got these uh, – they're the stories that, that yeah, we, you don't hear, you know. Uh, what I am really find hilarious with that story is that you went out there trying – like, with all those conditions that you are talking about and, and you mentioned sunset. And I'm <laughs> just like – I was thinking like I'm picturing like blizzard clouds, but you buried under like a foot of snow, basically like a carrot poking out for your nose and, and you're worried about sunset. Like, Are you saying something about my nose? I'm, I'm no. very conscious of my big nose. Thank you. You should not do selfie videos then because there's a, a whole perspective thing going on there. Um, but- <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> no, come on, tell me your story then. Well, well I've, got a, I've got a couple of them. One, this one yeah. is my favorite one though. And it's funny oh, right. because I didn't actually get the photo at all that I wanted. Well, that's what makes it more hilarious, yeah. isn't it? So, yeah. um, okay, go for it. So I started off with my, I'm going to call it in inverted commas, pro photography, um, doing underwater. 
Um, it was kind yes, of where I really right. got a bit yep. more serious about my stuff. Where you made, made a name for yourself as oh, a photographer. Well, I, I'm attempting to. Um, and so move over Darren Jew. Yeah. He's got nothing. Yeah, he's got nothing. He's got nothing. On, nothing. No, no only Darren like who? probably another twenty years experience on me, and you know, like accolades and friends. Oh, he just he um, just photographs whales, doesn't he? That's know. about it. Well, they're yeah, underwater. Yeah. I mean, it's a start. And he's a super charismatic guy. We need to get him on on the podcast. One you know, day, I've never met him. Oh, he's a super nice guy. Oh, I'd get so nervous though. Yeah, I'd be... I've got a bit of a man crush for Darren Jew. I probably shouldn't admit that on on radio, but well, that's what yeah. we got him on as a guest. We'd both just be sitting here silently, like. Go on. Yes. yes go on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so very interactive. Again. Yeah. <laughs> <Just> starstruck. Um, yeah. Anyway, don't don't mention him again because you get me really upset because uh, of the Wildlife Photography Awards last year that he did not win because there was what? someone. Yeah. That, don't it'll upset That's me. Controversy. I've already told you I don't like competitions and that competition. What he happened? had some amazing whale shots in there. Like for a wildlife photographer, I'm like that is nuts. And then a yeah. freaking house cat gets like second place and a, a cow in a paddock <gasps> got first place. Upsets oh. me to no end. I don't want to talk about no it. Way. Anyway, my That's story. Underwater. Go. Right. So we we um this is a few years ago. Um, there's a, a shipwreck in Vanuatu called the President Coolidge. And um, it is an American warship, or it's an American cruise ship, I should say, that um, was uh, commissioned during the war to bring troops out um, to the Pacific Islands and um, carry medical supplies. So I think it carried like 5,000 troops. It's crazy. But because it was a cruise ship, they never converted the ship fully to military because the idea was that we'll use it. I think the idea was that they use it for military purposes during the war and then it will go back to a cruise ship afterwards. And so... Um, all of the like the captain's quarters and things still had all the elaborate kind of decorations that a cruise ship would have. Um, mm. And in fact, the saloon um, had this amazing kind of uh, statue wall sculpture thing. It's called the lady. Um, and it's like a lady standing next to her horse um, kind of thing. And like the idea is you go down, it's a 40 meters at the moment. So you go, when you oh. go down, you go and kiss the lady. That's kind of like a, one of the achievements on the, uh, the Coolidge. Um, right. Although you wouldn't want to do that in a COVID environment because the amount of people with their dirty lips on that um statue uh it's, it's yeah don't know how that would go um you'd be right underwater but anyway <laughs> lots of salt. I don't know COVID exists in uh seawater but let's let's, let's yeah don't don't don't, move don't on. Even, yeah it'll scare me yeah um, let's not tempt fate. so the joy of this shipwreck it's the one of the world's most accessible deep dive shipwrecks so the the bow starts at uh 20 meters but because yep. it kind of essentially it was coming through these two islands um and there's friendly mines, but there was no one at the radio tower. And so this ship just decided, like, we're going to make a go for it, basically, um, after waiting an extended period of time. Went, hit a mine, exploded through the engine room, and the ship was full of medical supplies and equipment. So they didn't want to lose it. So the captain made the decision to plow it straight into the coast. And then everyone mm. can get off. Everyone would be safe. Um, mm. Medical supplies saved. Ship probably buggered, but it was buggered anyway. Mm. And um, sure enough, the thing sank. I think only two people died in the explosion, but everyone else got off. Um, but basically it slid backwards down into the ocean. And so it starts at 20 metres and then essentially you go in through the front chain locker. So this tiny little hole in the front of the ship that where the chain comes out and um, you basically go into the chain locker and then you swim down through the ship and it's about 75 metres long, I think. 
Um, I'm shitting my pants listening to this story already. <laughs> well, this is where. How it, do, you, do you need lights in order to yeah, do this? Yeah, you take torches. And it's not super oh. dark. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's dark inside the shipwreck, but there's lots of holes in ships. Like, oh. they're not completely. I'm just having a nightmare of not being able to find my way out. Well, anyway, you might want to block your ears for the next bit. So, <laughs> so you basically, um, you know, you go down, and, and what you do over the course of like five days is you go deeper and deeper and deeper. So you start off at the 20 meters and kind of go down to like 25. Next day, you do right. 25 to 30, and you kind of keep going down and the idea of this why, ship, do, you, why do you have to do that well because there's lots of different rooms um lots to oh, get right. through lots to explore you have, right, yeah okay. you also have like limited amount of air with you um unfortunately the dive operators over there don't always have as much air as what you might want them to have um, <laughs> so um yeah, there's, there's a couple of hours in there and there's only 35 minutes yeah well it does yeah funny we mentioned that but um oh god so you spend a lot of time and, and also it just gets people to use to the depth because like it is a, you know, diving is, uh, it's, it's got a few stresses to it. So um, some people have no issues with it. Some people have major issues with it. Um, but you get this thing called narcosis and narcosis right. is like being, it, it can either be paranoid narcosis. So it's like, it's like having a bad trip on drugs. Like you're, everything's bad. You're about to die. Or narcosis can be like being really drunk where you just throw yep. all cares to the wind and you're just like yep. whatever <laughs> yeah um and so anyway it's from the lack of oxygen isn't it it's oh, they, i don't even think they know what it's from it's like a nitrogen buildup but there's no actual i don't think there's nitrogen. any evidence to say what it actually what causes it but it happens at depth and at different depths for different people but i get it quite badly and i get the paranoid kind so right. i find as long as i'm distracted I don't get it badly. Like I can slow myself down. So I love having my camera in front of me because I can stick my face up to that viewfinder and, you know, kind of cruise and slow my breath down and just get involved in my photo and stuff like that. And as long as I don't look at my computer quickly and kind of realize that I'm really, really well beyond my comfort zone, I'm pretty good. Um, okay. But the idea is you want to get down to the stern and the stern of the ship has this huge lettering on the back that says SS President Coolidge. And... Um, the, the whole thing for photographers on that ship is you want to get the stern shot because it's not rare, but it's pretty rare. Um, it's kind of like a, it's like a, a moderately rare Pokemon card for underwater photographers. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, right. anyway, so you spend these, all this time. Anyway, the, the last sort of dive days, you basically, you don't go down the ship slowly. You, you just descend, you swim out about a hundred meters offshore and you just bomb straight down. Oh, this is a shore dive. Yeah, straight from the shore. Oh, right. So you swim out and then you just bomb straight down and you yeah, go yeah, down yeah. and hit straight down to 65 metres nonstop. Oof. Right. Which is a total mind bender. <laughs> like, because the water's clear, but not super clear. So you can't see more than, say, maybe oh. five, 10 metres in front of you. So you all oh. you can see is blue with no, no. reference points. So you're just no. thinking, seeing numbers on your computer go down or go up, I guess. I'm feeling sick yeah. just hearing this story. So anyway, we get down to the the stern and I'm like, my brain is melting because I'm not good at, like I have big problems at like 35 metres. So 65 metres is like getting to double oh. my comfort level. And the worst part is that when you dive, it takes ages to come back up again. So um, you've got to you stage. You down as fast as you want or you, and you can come back, you have, but you have to come back slowly. Mm, so right? it takes about two minutes to get down there, but about two and a half what? hours to get up. Serious? Yeah. And wow. most of that time is in very shallow water, but you've got to be very right. slow and calculated. And we bombed down there and I'm actually with a different dive buddy. So normally I dive with my wife, Laura. Um, but mm. this time I dived with a friend because we were both kind of uncomfortable with the depth, whereas the others were a bit more comfortable. <laughs> and we sort of said, like, if we need to cancel this because either yeah. of us is uncomfortable, we won't be upset. So, right. like, 
Whereas if we cancelled it for other people who were really confident, we'd be, you know, that'd be bad. So we said, we'd go. We're down there and we're both like, oh, cool, cool, cool. And I start to take photos and I'm like, holy shit, I, I made it. Like, wow, I'm at 65 meters. It's like great. I've got my camera. I'm taking photos. Like, there's the sign. There's the, oh crap, I'm getting my heart rate up and that photo looks awesome. But oh my God, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I've just find myself clinging to the back of the ship, like with my face pressed against the ship. And I had this right. moment, I'm like, I've got two choices. I'm going to die down here, like just sit here and wait till I run out of air and I'll just drown and that's okay. Right. Or I bounce to the surface as fast as I can because I need oh. to be out of here right now. No, that's not good. Which would probably be worse. So both options don't sound great. Not great at all. At the moment. This sounds like stupid things that people do on Everest <laughs> because they're lucky. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I'm like clothes a, because they're feeling too hot, yep. and yet you know it's minus thirty degrees. Okay, so I'm just sitting there going like, and I'm watching my air. Are you conscious that this was like you were not thinking straight? Oh, I got. You know, you're not thinking straight, but that doesn't change. Like, I don't know if you've ever been backed into a corner in a panic moment. Like, like it's 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 one of those without an easy escape. You can't just run away from that. There's no rational thought going on. Nothing at all. So the only rational thought is that if I slowly climb up the ship, um, things only get better as you move up, right? So anyway, I'm just like finally like, you know, grab the ship. I'm like, okay, sort of signal from behind me. Like no one can really see what I'm doing. Like we could just go in that way. (laughs) Like that's how we're doing it. So we start to go up and actually we ended up ducking inside the ship. Um, So rather than swimming on the outside, we went into one of the rooms. um, Right. Because, well, actually it does sound illogical, but... um, it does. It sounds like, no, that's not such a good move no. because, you know, like you might go, oh, this is cozy. There's a bed here. I'll just sort of lie in here for a minute and see how that feels. <laughs> well, we got in, we went in through the engine room there. And as soon as I was, had four walls around me, we were still at like 58 meters or something stupid. But um, as soon as I had those four walls, I was like, okay, okay, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And I started to calm my breath down and things like that. And I, you know, I got back into my breathing pattern. I'm like, cool, we're still going to go up nice and relatively, you know, as fast as is safe, but I'm not panicking anymore. We're okay. Mm. Anyway, we start to get towards the surface, like, you know, like 30 meters. And I see the other group. And I'm like, oh, cool. The other group's doing, wait, what the hell? All of them are tangled up in each other's air tank, like air hoses. I'm oh. like, what is going on? Oh. And that we get closer and closer and I'm like, hold on a second. This is not good. You've got two people attached to one tank over there. You've got another person attached to someone else's tank over here. And what had happened is that they all got down there. They were so bloody confident about what they were doing that they got down there. Half of them like ran out of air and just had to start using and sharing tanks. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, this gets better, right? This gets better. So <laughs> we start to get towards the surface and there's a couple of people who got dual tanks and stuff. So there's like enough air to kind of go around. But once you hit nine meters, that's when your sort of two hour countdown starts. Like this is going to take two hours to get from like nine meters up to the surface or thereabouts. All right. okay. Okay. Um, so you're in well, pretty you shallow water. Safe at that point, wouldn't you? You feel pretty safe, yes. But you still need air. Like even if you're at one meter, right. you can't breathe, you know, like. <laughs> yes, of course, of course. If you're, when you're underwater, you're underwater. That's regardless it, that's it. You could be, you know, I've heard that it only takes one inch of water to drown. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. But you need that extra air to account for the fact that you need those two hours just to oh, yeah. decompress. And when you're at depth, the deeper you are, the more air you go through because of the pressure and, and whatnot. But um, right. anyway, so we get up to this, this safety stop, we call it, or a deco stop. We're sitting there and everyone's tangled up. And I can just see that, like, I'm like, oh, my God, I told them that this was a kind of a dumb idea. And next thing you know, there's two people sharing a tank and I get the signal low on air. 
And I'm thinking, you got two hours left and you low on air sharing a tank. Like, this is not going to go very well. Yes. And so... Recompression chamber for you. Pretty much. So we start to go up. We get to six meters stop. Um, and they're like, okay, this tank's pretty much done. So one of the guides who's a local there, poor, bark, poor guy, goes, okay, gives him their tank. Yep. Dives up to the surface, breath hold. <laughs> apparently runs across the beach. So one of our people was on the shoreline. He runs across the beach, grabs another two tanks, bombs it back into the water and swims down and gives us the tanks. Like, I'm like, Paul, like that's not cool. Yeah, heroic. But guess what he comes back to? One of our guests who was on this trip that I was running, one of the guys that has seen a kid snorkeling above, like a local kid, and the local kid, he sort of signaled, and local kids like dive down and... His, his name was John, has his arm around this local kid at like six meters, whacked a regulator in his mouth, and he's taking selfies with this local kid <laughs> after this dive guide's like risked his life jump, running across the beach oh, to like get him extra hair. I'm just sitting there pissing wow, myself laughing know, at this point. Quite a, you know, serious situation it sounds like. Yeah, and you know what the best part of that is I did not get the photo that I thought I got when I was down there. When I was down there, I'm like, I got this. It's so amazing. And then I got up on the surface. I'm like, no, that's a rubbish photo. So um, Open to what was why was so the picture so rubbish? Oh, it just like it just the, to be honest, it was all my fault. But it it just was uninteresting. I mean, I've got it. Right. It's just uninteresting. Yeah. Very uninteresting. You have to go back for it, Matt. Yeah, you know, I think I'm pretty good. I think I'm pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I have since dived that ship, no, and I didn't go. Listening. It didn't go to the stern. To the I, I, I went to other spots. If you would like to book in on uh, Matt's next dive adventure to Vanuatu, uh, <laughs> feel free to just get in contact now. Ring 555-6784 and, uh, and you'll be able to book in. Yeah, I do recommend insurance. Um. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sounds like a very well-organized uh, workshop there, mate. Oh, gosh. It was oh, a laugh. It wasn't actually wow. a workshop. That was, it, was a, it was still a dive, one of the dive clubs. But, um, but yeah. Right, 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 right. right. You oh, know, yes, just to yeah, take yeah. some of that liability off me. Um, wow. But yeah, well, so- that is the most interesting. You've taken us on a fantastic journey there. I was there with you every step of the way. I'm going to post that a photo was- on the Facebook group of a nice photo on of that shipwreck. Yeah, please. That would be fascinating to see it. Yeah. That sort of sca- stuff scares the hell out of me. Um, I'm I'm a very competent swimmer. I have been for years, but I've never got into surfing or sailing. And I do open water swimming as well, but. I've got to be able to see the bottom. Mm. I'm not great with water clarity where it's not 100%. Yeah, right. And the only time that I've been in a situation where I haven't been able to really see the bottom when, it was, when I was diving with um, whale sharks off uh, oh. years ago with uh, my son Ollie and we were literally just jumping into you know the blue water. You couldn't see the bottom. Oh. Uh, it was too deep. And, and that was pretty sharks. fun. We were distracted by the fact that there were these huge whale sharks swimming past us, which was totally awesome. But um, yeah, if I thought too much about it to think whatever could come up from the depths to eat me or mm. what's below me, I, I'm just not good with that. I know it's all a mental thing; it's all a mind game. But um, I've still, got so many fun stories I could taunt you with with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please. you're yeah. going to terrorize me, and I'm never going to want to go yeah. swimming in the water again. It's going to be one of these jaws moments. The 20 second version yeah. of this one that in Hawaii there's a dive called the Blackwater Dive. And, and right. you, you go six kilometers offshore in the middle of the night and night. they drop you down on a line to hover night. at 30 meters in black water. So it's six kilometers night. deep at six kilometers out night. and it's the largest migration of animals on the planet because all of the abyssal creatures, so all like the jellies and weird stuff comes up. Um, and so you're just sitting there dangling on the boat, 
no one else around you at all. It's just you because you're all spaced out. So you can't see anything except for what's in your no. torchlight. It's insane. No. I, I had the opportunity to swim with the manta rays uh, at night, but to get attracted by the lights in, that shine into the water at Kona yeah. in Hawaii. It's quite a famous um, sort of like, uh, you know, tourist attraction. No, no, oh. never did it because, again, just scared shit of, shitless of being in the water at night. Oh. I, I've got friends of mine who swim down here. At, uh, they're keen open water swimmers. They swim down here in Frankston. And they go all the year round and they'll go at six in the morning in the wintertime where, mm. you know, the sun's got another hour and a half before it comes up and they swim in the black water. I could yeah, I could not pay me enough to do that. I would never do it. Oh, I, I just, just think it'd don't. be too cold. <laughs> it's not the cold. It's the <laughs> you run into. Oh, What's there? Nah, we don't have anything like I mean, we do have things like that, but they don't, they don't touch people in Victoria, generally no, speaking. But I'm not, I'm not comfortable with that. Anyway, that's, yeah. that's one of those, you know. You couldn't pay me enough to do that. Matt, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you again. Time has flown by. And look, uh, for those who are interested, we obviously have a Facebook group. Just look it up. It's uh, Matt and Tom's Excellent Podcast on on Facebook. So please join and uh, you'll uh, find this recording or links to this recording and everything else that's going on. And Matt, BFOP's just planning together perfectly. So tickets are still available, of course. Where do people go for that? Yeah, so tickets are available for BFOP. It is uh, bfopaustralia.com. This year we have locked in now, we've locked in 20 instructors um, and we're still adding to it. Today, Nick Jonas is now, um, we've just teed him up as well. Legend. Super nice bloke. Uh, oh, also, we're having some, we've got some competitions running as well, which will come up. But um, Nikon Ooh. has given us a, um, a Z5, a Z50 um, to give away. Uh, we will have wow. some things coming from Camera House as well. It's pretty, there's so much going on. I'm actually still trying to organize the schedule, which I'm going to do this afternoon. And then, so it'll be not this afternoon when you hear this, it'll be up already. <laughs> but um, anyway, the point is that, uh, yes, no it's all recording in. Yeah, yeah right. it's all happening. So very exciting. Great to hear. Yep. And look, speaking of competitions, uh, you'll be able to find uh, on the little Facebook group that I run called Tom's Tribe, a little bit of cross-promotion here, Matt. Hope you don't, hope you don't mind. Um, but we're running a Lockdown Landscape Photography Awards that Ooh. are taking place on Saturday, the 5th of September. We have over $2,000 in prizes uh, sponsored very nicely by Brilliant Prints .com.au, who I've been printing with for the past 15 years. Liam, who runs the business, is a great mate of mine. He's generously donated a $100 gift voucher as a winning um, prize for each category. We have 19 different categories. It's not serious at all. Uh, it's fun and games had by everybody. Uh, jump on to the Tom's Tribe Facebook group there to find out more info. You have to be a member in order to enter. But, uh, um, we'd love to see you along on the 5th of September for the announcement of those awards. So can you, I mean, I know that this has run a little bit over time, but we're going to cut some of the starts. Yes. So tell me yep. quickly, a landscape in lockdown, are we taking, yes. is this like, um, like, like taking it from your window or is it historic this landscapes you've taken? We have 19 different categories Whoa. that we've um, labelled. For example, we have the balcony beauty, which is obviously mm. taken from your balcony. We have the uh, one-hour wonder, which needs to be taken while you're out on your one hour of exercise. We have a COVID clanger. So that's the photo that didn't quite work out. Um, we have the pandemic panorama. So obviously your best pano that you've taken during the uh, the lockdown period. But we, we have a lot of categories there that you don't have to have taken during lockdown as well. So like, you know, you could just go through your back catalogue of stuff and uh, 
and know that uh, you, you, it's not serious either. It's not like, oh, my stuff isn't good enough. You know, the COVID clanger, for example, um, there's the um, the Zoom zinger, which is the striking or amusing photograph. And, of course, there's the big one, which is the, the lockdown landscape. That's the grand finale. That's the last prize we're going to be awarding on the night. And that award goes to the best landscape photo entered in the competition. Not only do they win a $100 gift voucher from Brilliant Prince, but they will also win $300 gift voucher to put towards any of my future workshops. Wow. So, um, yeah, so we're really looking forward to that. Bit of fun uh, that we'll be having on that group uh, Sunday, Saturday the 5th of September. Super exciting. And I've got an idea, If you like for the lockdown landscape, yeah. I just remembered that I reckon I left a box of food in the back of my car from before lockdown. And I reckon if I open up that tub now, I would get an incredible forest landscape. Maybe need to wow, be shot on a uh, macro lens, but um, full of macros. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, some nice little uh, yeah, growth happening in there. Wow, very good. All right, Matt. Well, thanks very much for catching up today. That was yet another episode of Matt and Tom's excellent podcast. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll catch you next week. See ya. Bye. Bye.